Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our day to do breathing mindfulness meditation. We are just getting started with our group learning program and we really haven't even dove into the actual chapters of this book yet. So if you're just joining for the first time, you're welcome to join into this program where each Sunday and Wednesday, we get together to learn and practice Gautama Buddha's teachings. On Sundays, we use this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, as a way of understanding the teachings, having read before class or after class. I give a talk on Sundays in order to help you understand the teachings of the Buddha and provide you an opportunity to ask questions, seeking any guidance or clarification that you need in the teachings. And then on Wednesday, we do meditation together, either breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, and we also learn Buddhist chanting as part of our Wednesday class as well. So I'd like to welcome you and thank you for joining. Because we're just getting started in the group learning program, on last Wednesday, I did a fairly thorough talk about breathing mindfulness meditation and meditation in general to help people get more established and more confident in their meditation practice. And we've kind of been building up each Wednesday to do more and more meditation. So two weeks ago, we kind of did like a five minute meditation. Last week, we did about a 15, 20 minute meditation. Today, we're gonna do a little bit longer, maybe like closer to 30 minutes or more. And the idea is, is that each one of these classes, whether it's Sunday or Wednesday, that you're not believing anything that I share with you, that you learn and then you practice the teachings on your own so you can see the improvement to the condition of the mind. So these meditation sessions that we're doing each Wednesday, you can learn here meditation each Wednesday and ask questions. And then when you walk away from the class, then on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, continue to do meditation as shared either once, twice, or three times a day, which is what Gautama Buddha did, I suggest at least twice a day if you can build up to that. And then together as a group, we come together to encourage and support, motivate each other in our practice by doing a group meditation all together. And at the end of our meditation, provide you the opportunity to ask any questions about your meditation practice to help you further it and deepen it and ensure that you're continuing to progress. But remember, this path to enlightenment, to this enlightened mind, yes, meditation is involved and you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment without meditation. 
But to get to enlightenment isn't just meditation by itself. That's why Sundays we have those talks and there's this text for you to read how to develop your life practice. Because it's one thing to meditate and train the mind for however many times a day that you may do that. But then you need to step out into the world and practice the Buddhist teachings 24 hours a day, essentially all your waking hours. Of course, when you're sleeping, you're just sleeping. But if you were to meditate and then go out in the world and speak harshly and aggressive and lie and steal and kill and drink intoxicants and take substances that cause heedlessness and uh, have sexual misconduct and all these other things, you're causing harm in the world through your moral conduct. And because of that, there's going to be harm that comes back to you. So you can't meditate your way to enlightenment, but you also wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment without meditation. So that's what today is all about. We're on this journey to this enlightened mind where the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently, where the mind has eliminated all discontented feelings. So there's no more sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy. All of these discontent feelings and others are completely eliminated from the mind through purification of the mind. And it's the Buddhist teachings and training the mind through the Buddhist teachings that will purify the mind. Because right now in the unenlightened mind, there's certain pollution, there's certain taints or defilements is what we also call these three poisons, these three unwholesome roots, these three fires. We also have these fetters or these taints or this pollution in the mind. And by training the mind in the Buddhist teachings, you get rid of all this pollution and now this enlightened mind can come through where you've eliminated all the impurities in the mind that are causing the discontentedness and causing the difficulties in your life. So today we're going to do breathing mindfulness meditation and I'm going to just provide you some guidance once we actually get going with meditation and then for a period of time I'll leave you on your own and then at the end we'll take questions on anything related to meditation or anything else we've been teaching in the program so far. So I would like to invite you to pull up a meditation cushion or sit on the floor, get comfortable in a chair or wherever you might feel is best for you to meditate because usually seated meditation is the best way to kind of get started. But if seated meditation doesn't work for you for any reason, you can also use lying or standing. There is walking meditation, but it's kind of hard with a live stream. So usually it's kind of seated, lying or standing. You probably want to put some cushions under your rear if you're on the floor and just cross your legs somewhat lightly. You don't want your legs to be too tight because then the circulation is inhibited. If you're in a chair, you just would like your lower body to be stable on the chair, maybe crossing your feet at the ankles or just have your feet flat on the floor. There's not just one fixed way to position the body. 
What's important is that the body is comfortable, but not luxurious. So make the lower body comfortable, but not luxurious. The upper body, you need to elongate the spine to keep the muscles engaged. This keeps the mind active and attentive during the meditation session because meditation is an active, dedicated, purposeful training session where we're training the mind to either eliminate certain qualities or cultivate certain qualities. And in order to do that, we have to access the mind. So if we were just to slouch, the mind would become inactive and it would be very difficult to access the mind. Or if we were real rigid in our meditation posture, this would also create some tension in the mind. So you wanna kind of find that middle where there's active engagement of the muscles around the spine, but you're not slouched and you're not real rigid. Your hands and your arms, there's lots of options here. What Gautama Buddha did is he placed his right hand on top of his left, put his thumbs together, and then he put that in his lap. And if that's comfortable for you, you can do that. But if for some reason you don't like that or it's not comfortable, again, it's not about everybody doing it exactly the same way. So there's other options here. You might choose to put your palms flat on your thighs, on your knees, on the armrest of a chair. You might put your palms up in your thighs or on your knees. There's lots of different things you can do. Just be sure that your hands and arms are comfortable. And it's almost like the body doesn't even exist. It's like you're just placing the body in a comfortable position where it almost doesn't even exist so that now you can just close the eyes. And when you close the eyes, just start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Taking some nice, steady breaths. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Your breath doesn't need to sync up to my guidance. You just take a nice natural breath. I'll just be cueing the breath, but more likely than not, you'll be breathing at a different pace and that's fine. Just focus on the breath coming into the nose, breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Now start to focus the mind on the breath. The sound of the breath, the sensation of the air moving into the nose. Just focus there. I'm going to do some chanting to kind of ease us into meditation. And then I'm going to come back with some guidance to help you further deepen your meditation practice. Arahang <laughs> 
Establish a nice, steady, consistent breath. Don't try to force the breath or control it. Just allow it to happen naturally. Breathing in and out. Breathing in. and out. Bring the awareness of the mind to the breath. The sound of the breath 
or the sensation of air entering the nose. Fixate the mind on the breath. This is the present moment. The breath is the present moment. Breathing in. and out. Breathing in and out. As you sit in meditation, fixating the mind on the breath, the mind may choose to wonder and may go to the past as you observe the mind going to the past it's not in the present moment it's not on the breath so cut that off let it go wherever you notice that and bring the mind back to the breath the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. As you sit in meditation, the mind may be interested to wander into the future. Wherever you observe that, wherever you notice it, cut it off, let it go. Bring the mind back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. and out. Breathing in and out. If the mind has thoughts, ideas, perceptions, Wherever you notice that the mind has wandered, cut those off, let them go. Bring the mind back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. I'm going to be quiet now and let you just work on training the mind. 
so that you can train the mind to let go, even let go of this voice. You have nowhere to go. You have nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in. And out.
What we did today in breathing mindfulness meditation is what Gautama Buddha says is the very best thing that you could possibly do in order to improve your gamma or the results of your decisions. So by meditating each day, morning, afternoon, evening, maybe you need to start with one of those. Maybe you do two, maybe you can do all three, but the idea is that you build up your practice where you're meditating at least two or three times a day and you're getting close to 30 minutes per session or more. And that's going to fluctuate. It's not always going to be the same time, the same length. It's not going to always be the same number of sessions per day, all because of impermanence. But in order to improve the condition of the mind and the condition of your life, you've got to dedicate yourself 
and commit yourself to building up a meditation practice that has some longevity to it, that you build up and build up and build up and you do this over many months and years. You can't meditate for just a couple of days or a couple of weeks and everything's going to drastically change in your life. That's not the way this works at all. It's a gradual progression. Even Gautama Buddha talked about this. One of the big myths in Buddhist culture and Buddhist communities is that the Buddha sat under a tree, he meditated and instantly attained enlightenment. But if you look at his teachings and what he actually says, not what other people say, but what Gautama Buddha says, is he says very clearly, it's a gradual progression, gradual progress towards the goal of enlightenment. So that's what you need to do is kind of build in this gradual development of this practice, starting with breathing mindfulness meditation. So that's why we're starting with this first in this program, where for about three or four weeks, we're going to be just doing breathing mindfulness meditation exclusively, and then you doing that on your own each day. But in a number of weeks, probably two or three more weeks, we're going to add in a second type of meditation, which Gautama Buddha taught as the second most important thing that you could be doing to improve the condition of the mind, which is loving kindness meditation. But that meditation isn't going to be as beneficial if you don't first have a breathing mindfulness meditation practice really well established. So this is why I'm taking our time as we get started in this program to really guide you in developing this breathing mindfulness meditation practice so that you can build this up over the course of about four weeks so that once we add in the loving kindness meditation that it will just further deepen your practice and further help you to train the mind to get rid of that pollution that we were talking about and allow the mind to come through with this brightness and this brilliance of enlightenment where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. So I would like to open things up to all of you, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, and Zoom for questions. If you have questions on meditation, your meditation practice, anything about this program, anything about the Eightfold Path that we've discussed so far, which includes the Three Universal Truths, the Four Noble Truths, the right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, or anything else that's going on in your practice that you would like to seek guidance on. All you need to do is put your question into the comment section of either Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Or if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask your question directly or any follow-up questions. Our moderators, Manal and Bassam, will ensure that your question gets asked during the class and I'll answer it for you. So, Manal and Bossom, I'll just turn things over to you guys. Great. We have a question on Zoom from Holly. She asks, since I am not timing my meditation, is there a mental signal to know when to come out of meditation? No, just whenever you feel that it's the right time. And not timing your meditation is so perfect, Holly. This is really, really wonderful because the vast majority of the world does actually time meditation. But what I've observed through my own practice is that in the past, when I used to time meditation, my mind would just be thinking, 
is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? The mind was longing with a strong eagerness of whether it was actually time yet. And this is actually what we're trying to eliminate through breathing mindfulness meditation is we're trying to eliminate that longing with a strong eagerness because that's the cause of all discontentedness. So by eliminating the alarm or the timing, what happens is you just allow the mind to ease into meditation, meditate, and then when you're done, you just decide you're done. And what you'll notice is that by doing this more and more, if you happen to look at the clock every once in a while when you're done, just to be curious how long you meditated, you'll actually observe that you actually meditate probably much longer than you thought. I hadn't timed one of my meditations for a good number of years. And it wasn't until I started teaching online that I started becoming aware because I just have a clock in front of me. And I just kind of am aware of the time just out of benefit for the students. And I thought I meditated for about 20 or 30 minutes, you know, closer to 30 minutes per session. But when I started doing the classes, I noticed there was an hour or more. So what happens is this snowball, this momentum, by not timing your meditation, you build this momentum where the mind is more and more willing to go into meditation and stay there for longer and not pay attention to the time, but pay attention to the results that when the mind is meditating, it should be peaceful, it should be calm, it should be stable, it should be fixed on that breath and just get better and better at coming back to that breath and you'll get more and more benefits this way without timing it. And then the other thing is, is that one of the other things I noticed is that if I did time a meditation, if I wasn't longing to see what time it was and knowing whether I had gotten to the alarm or not, the other thing that would happen is I would be deep in meditation, not paying attention to the time, getting all kinds of benefit. And then the alarm would be like, beep, beep, beep. Oh, wow. If I would have just not set the alarm, I could have gotten so much more benefit out of the time that I was meditating because I could have gone longer. So if you think back to Gautama Buddha's lifetime, 2,500 years ago, he didn't time his meditations, I'm sure, right? What did he use to time his meditations? He didn't have any iPhone. He didn't have a watch. He didn't have any of that stuff. So if we return back to what Gautama Buddha did during his lifetime, then we'll get more results. So that's wonderful that you're not timing your meditation and just intermeditation, meditate for whatever period of time you feel is beneficial and you're getting lots of results and just continue to work on elongating that. And then when you're done, you're done and just stop meditating. I have a question, Teacher David. Um, when sitting in meditation, the mind tends to categorize a lot of um, thoughts and um, try, the mind attributes thought, uh, thoughts in a particular um, sort of, uh, you kind of think of it as a negative or a positive um, sensation or a thought. My question is, how, how can one best cultivate a, a non-judgment towards any thought that arrives during meditation? Yeah, this is one of the other things that some people are taught to do during meditation, which is label their thoughts, which requires judgment of their thoughts, which I don't agree with that we should be doing that during meditation. And Gautama Buddha doesn't talk about that anywhere in his teachings whatsoever. 
because breathing mindfulness meditation is to essentially train the mind to keep coming back to the breath and back to the breath and back to the breath. And over time, you're eliminating this longing with a strong eagerness because every time the mind wanders or longs, you're cutting it off and bringing it back, cutting it off and bringing it back, cutting it off and bringing it back. And over time, the mind gets more and more stable to just stay with the breath all the time. So you're essentially working to eliminate this longing with a strong eagerness where the mind wants to hold on to things. So if in meditation, the mind has been taught to label thoughts or judge thoughts or say things like thinking, 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 or if the mind is listening to music or counting mala beads or any kind of thing like this, even listening to guidance, even having someone talk to you all the way through your meditation, the mind is holding on. The mind is still holding on. It has craving, desire, attachment. And while you may have gotten benefit in the past with music or mala beads or guided meditations all the way through, to really get to enlightenment, you're going to have to strip all that stuff out, which includes this labeling of thoughts or judging of thoughts. Don't try to label the thoughts or judge the thoughts. Just wherever you notice they happen, just cut them off, let them go and bring it back to the breath. And when you first start meditating, the amount of time that it takes before you catch the mind, it might be longer, right? It might be five or 10 minutes and you're like, oh yeah, that's right, I'm meditating. Cut that off, let it go, bring it back to the breath. And then the mind goes again, maybe eight minutes, right? Oh yeah, that's right, I'm meditating. Cut that off, bring it back. But over time, you get less and less and less where it's 30 seconds and you notice it. Boom, you cut that off. So in breathing mindfulness meditation, we're eliminating the craving, desire, attachment, the tendency for the mind to have this longing, strong eagerness. And we're cultivating mindfulness or awareness of mind. So if you're aware, Manal, of whatever thoughts, you know, let's not even call them wholesome or unwholesome. Let's just call them thoughts. If you're aware that there's thoughts there, that's mindfulness. That's awareness of mind. This is where some people sometimes get discouraged because they think that the goal of meditation is to eliminate thoughts. That's impossible. As long as you're alive, you're going to have thoughts. You can still the thoughts. You can minimize the mental activity in the mind by focusing it on the breath and keeping it fixed on the breath. But there's going to be thoughts during your meditation. So no need to label them as either wholesome or unwholesome. Because the more you train in these teachings, the mind will let go more and more and more. And the mind will become more and more empty or still. And it just takes time to do that. So you just got to train the mind that wherever you see thoughts, don't label them, don't judge them. Just let them go, cut them off and bring it back to the breath. And this is the training where you show the mind more and more and more that you're in control. And when as soon as it starts to want to go somewhere, boom, you bring it back. It goes somewhere else. Boom, you bring it back. Go somewhere else. Bring it back. And then you'll get better and better at this and it will move into your daily life where you won't have this mental longing and strong eagerness and you'll have awareness of mind where you can have present moment all the time. The mind can be in the present moment because you've developed this 
ability in meditation, now you can use this in your daily conversations and your work that you have focus, concentration, clarity of mind, deep memory, and this will be beneficial for you and you'll cultivate this more and more and more. And this is where you gotta be sure that not only in meditation are you focused on the breath, but outside of meditation, you maintain your awareness of mind so that when you notice anger or frustration or boredom or loneliness starting to arise, you cut it off and let it go, right? You're gonna have unwholesome thoughts in the mind all the way up until you attain enlightenment. Even in the first, second, third stage of enlightenment, you're gonna have unwholesome thoughts. So no need to judge whether they're wholesome or unwholesome, just wherever you see in meditation or outside of meditation, something arise like anger, frustration, irritation, or some kind of thought in meditation, even if it's a wholesome thought, just cut it off, let it go, and more and more, you're gonna gain the discipline. You're gonna gain this mental discipline where you have complete control over the mind. Thank you for that explanation, Teacher David. It's always been helpful to refer back to when you say to cut it off, um, cut it off completely and let it go. That part of it, it has, um, has been a helpful reminder for me. Yeah, these are the Buddha's words. He says it in his teachings that cut off the thoughts. He says it very clearly. I usually say let them go, but I like to use his words because he was the fully perfectly enlightened Buddha, the master teacher. But sometimes when people hear the word cut off the thoughts, they immediately think that means eliminate the thoughts, which, like I mentioned, it's impossible. So what you're really doing is you're letting them go so that more and more you get good at bringing the mind back, bringing it back and bringing it back to the breath. And this is how you gain control over the mind because when you do this in daily life with awareness of mind and you feel that frustration arise and you're like, nope, 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 let it go. And you cut that off. And then the mind can be peaceful because you didn't allow that frustration to pollute the mind or you feel some disappointment or some jealousy or resentment or boredom or whatever it is, and you start feeling it rise, when you get good at cutting that off and letting it go, over time, what you will eventually accomplish is those thoughts, those feelings won't arise at all. That's how you get to a point where there's no arising of any discontentedness whatsoever. The Buddha calls this cessation of discontentedness. You might have heard this called cessation of suffering, but I don't use that word suffering for a number of reasons, which I describe in various places in my teachings. So the way to get to the cessation or the elimination of discontent feelings is through learning and practicing the teachings, of course, through training the mind in meditation, but then in daily life, you need to have awareness of mind so that when the discontentedness is arising, you get really good at cutting it off and letting it go so it doesn't pollute the mind. And over time, the mind just resides in the middle. It resides permanently in the middle, in the present moment. It no longer longs and goes to the past. It no longer longs and goes to the future. It just resides in the present moment, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy without any discontentedness whatsoever. And this is 
absolutely wonderful because the mind is just so peaceful and calm, serene, content, joyful all the time. You don't have any harshness, any ill will, any animosity, any jealousy, none of that whatsoever. All the conversations that you have, you can have a very calm and peaceful conversation. Even if the other person is angry and frustrated or irritated, you can just be calm and peaceful and you can have this presentness of mind. You can have this clarity, this focus, this concentration, and the mind is never shaken up. The Buddha describes this as liberation, where the mind's liberated. It's no longer shaken up by anything whatsoever. Ali has another follow-up question. Mm -hmm. I do not watch a lot of television, but last week I watched a movie. The next day, my mind kept bringing up scenes from the movie during my meditation. Should I refrain from watching television while I'm beginning training the mind, or rather use these thoughts as opportunities to train the mind you totally could holly and this is why for someone who expands their practice from the five precepts that the buddha taught up to eight or ten these are also oftentimes practiced in the household life that you can move to eight or ten precepts which i haven't taught in this book and i haven't taught in this class but if you would like to see what those eight or ten precepts are I can share them with you because I have access to them here in the, the Buddhist teachings that I have. And the ones online that you see don't always fully explain it in the same way as the translations that I have. So I really trust and have confidence in the translations that I have because one of those precepts that you get to in the expanded precepts in the eight precepts is you get the elimination of entertainment. And that doesn't have to be a permanent thing that you completely permanently eliminate television or music or going to concerts and fairs and all of this stuff. But surely if you eliminate that stuff from your practice, even for a period of time, like six months or a year, this will absolutely make a huge difference in your practice because all of this media that we consume it actually is meant to create some kind of emotional response. So a movie or a television program or music, it's designed to move the mind in some direction. I mean, that's what artists do through their work. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to bring some stability to the mind and bring it to the middle and have it reside there permanently. So if you eliminate entertainment from your practice, even for a period of time, then that's just one less thing to pull on the mind and tug on it. I don't suggest that you need to test the mind right now because you're just getting started with me at least. And instead, if you would like to eliminate it, since it sounds like you pretty much already have, aside for an occasional viewing here and there, is yeah, go ahead and eliminate it. Get that out of your life for a while train the mind, get it really, really, really stable. And then at some point in the future, you can kind of slowly reintroduce it if you like. So like for me, like I might watch one television program once a week or once every two or three weeks or something like this. Very little of that kind of stuff going on. And what I noticed even before I was really on this path very closely is when I lived in America and I consumed things like the news every day, that was like really struggling and pulling on the mind. 
I went for a period of time when I was in America, like a whole year without television. And this was like one of the best periods of time that I ever experienced while living in America because I went out on walks and I did jogging and spent time with friends and I got into construction and building things around the house and all these different kind of things. So that's a personal choice for each individual. But since you're already leaning in that direction, I can confirm for you through experience that yes, eliminating that will definitely help you. Hey, looks like we have a few questions on Facebook. Uh, Basim, are you able to ask those questions? Yes, ma'am. So uh, looks like we have uh, problems with the internet connection <laughs> because of impermanence also. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay. Uh, here's a question from uh, Jeff. Uh, the question says, I've been meditating for about two months now. I have noticed good, ch uh, good changes already in my life. It has only been the past two days. My mind has challenged me and all past is surfacing more even though during meditation, I cut it off. I'm even having trouble sleeping and feeling anxious. Uh, past two days, I've even uh, had times when my mind is telling me what I'm doing will not win. Uh, I guess that's my ego, not wanting me to let go. Jeff, this is completely normal what you're experiencing, that now you're two months into this and you're starting to kind of unravel this unenlightened mind more and more. Sometimes I talk about the unenlightened mind as like a ball of twine and it's bound up really, really tightly. And it's got all these experiences, all these feelings from the past kind of uh, buried inside this ball of twine. And as you're meditating, you're starting to unravel that ball of twine. And when you first get started the first couple of days or a couple of weeks, you know, you're not really unraveling the mind very much. But now that you're two weeks into this and you're seeing a lot of benefit, you're starting to unravel more and more of that mind. And these feelings and experiences from the past can kind of surface and kind of disturb the mind. And you can even have erratic sleep patterns. This is very normal for someone who's on this path and awakening the mind. But this is the path to eliminate discontentedness 100%. Because if you leave all of those emotions and feelings and experiences bound up inside the mind, then you're never going to get rid of them because they're just buried. So what you've got to do is continue to unravel the string, unravel the twine, let those feelings surface and let them go and let them go and let them go. This erratic sleep schedule, it will balance out and uh, sleep is impermanent anyway. It's not going to be the same time, the same length of time all the time. So it's going to bounce around. This is one of the reasons why it's called awakening the mind because enlightened beings actually don't have to sleep very much. So if you're used to getting eight, 10, 12 hours at one time in my life, I used to sleep 14, 16 hours a day because the mind was so burdened sometimes. But what you'll notice is as you awaken the mind through training it and through learning this wisdom, the mind will be less and less burdened. It'll be more optimal the mind will be performing more optimal in the middle so your sleep schedule will actually get shorter and shorter and shorter and you won't actually be on a schedule at all it'll kind of bounce around and this is where you just got to be comfortable without craving permanence without craving a permanent sleep schedule and permanently getting a set number of hours of sleep and you've just got to be comfortable with 
the mind kind of bouncing around and not having a set sleep schedule. There's no such thing as a set sleep schedule. People think that there is, and this is why people think that they have insomnia because they kind of have this craving to go to sleep at the same time every day and have the same amount of sleep every day. And their mind is craving permanence. So if their sleep doesn't match to that schedule, they think they have insomnia. So they go visit a doctor and they get sleeping pills to force themselves to sleep. But in reality, an enlightened being sometimes only sleeps one, two, three hours a day. Gautama Buddha was reported to have slept just those few number of hours. Sometimes enlightened beings actually don't sleep at all. They actually just kind of lay in bed for an hour or two and just kind of rest the mind and rest the body. They don't actually fall asleep at all. Or other times they might sleep four, six, eight hours at a time. It just depends what's going on in their life. But an enlightened being is understanding of impermanence and they understand that awakening the mind that there's going to be this uh, shifting and changing. There is no set sleep schedule. What's important is that in your daily life that you have rest and that you have the energy to be able to perform whatever activities that you are experiencing. So as these thoughts and feelings surface either in meditation or outside of meditation, it's okay, but just let them go. And that's the way to kind of clear out the dust and the dirt 100%. Because what's been happening in the past is as you've had various experiences and feelings, and this happens for everybody, is they just brush it under the carpet. And this pile of dust just keeps getting bigger and bigger, covering it up with the carpet. Well, now what you're doing through learning these teachings and training the mind is you're pulling back that carpet and the dust is starting to come out, but you're getting rid of that dust once and for all. And then you won't have to deal with it anymore. So you're headed in the right direction. And the other thing that I'll share about awakening or moving to enlightenment, we often think about it as this glorious, wonderful most pleasing experience, right? Because to get to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, this enlightened mental state, it should just be utterly peaceful, right? It should just be like a walk in the park. Well, that's not how awakening or enlightenment works at all. Because of these things that the mind is holding on to deep inside the mind, feelings and experiences, it can sometimes get quite miserable, as you're working on this path, but you've got to have confidence in the teachings. You got to have a teacher who you reach out to and get help with and know that this uncomfortableness, this bit of misery, this um, sometimes really difficult times as you're dealing with certain things, including dissolving the ego, which you mentioned, it can get really rough. It can get really difficult. And that's just part of the journey. If this process to attaining enlightenment was so easy and so simple, everybody would already be enlightened. So there's a good amount of work and effort that goes into it. And it's not always glorious and rosy. It sometimes gets pretty difficult. And that's where having confidence in the Buddha, having confidence in his teachings, having confidence in the community, having confidence in your teacher and reaching out and getting guidance is where you'll be able to continue to progress even in those difficult periods of time 
that you'll have somebody that can help you along the path? Well, uh, Peplov asks, uh, how can we work to increase a rising wholesome mental state, growth in the mind, when we practice meditation to cutting off the thoughts, uh, empty the mind, and uh, how can we cultivate wholesome quality in empty mind? Well, first, you have to understand the teachings, Biplab, which you are learning more and more because I know you've been learning with me now for a while, maybe close to a year or so. You've got to keep learning all the teachings. And this book that I think you have a copy of, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, has a really, really good laid out path for you to understand what are the wholesome qualities of mind that you're working to cultivate. So you've got to learn intellectually. You've got to learn that intellectual understanding. You've got to reflect on that and you've got to practice it. So you've got to dedicate your time to meditation. You've got to be on top of your practice in day-to-day life. Every breath, every moment in daily-day life, you've got to be on top of the teachings and training the mind in that direction. Eventually, you get to the point where you don't need to be thinking about the teachings so much because they just become second nature. The Buddha called this period of time where once you get on the path and you learn, you're learning really deeply, you're progressing through meditation, any situations that are happening in your life, you're kind of bucking up those situations to the teachings and trying to understand how to apply the teachings in any given situation. He called this thinking and pondering. And the mind has to go through this where you are in a situation, maybe in a conversation with a friend or a colleague or a family member, and you've got to be thinking and you've got to be pondering and you've got to slow the mind down and you've got to really think about how to actually approach this and practice those right view, right intention, right speech, right action, so forth and so on. And you've got to really think and ponder about that. And then each conversation, each experience, each new thing that arises, you've just got to take your time and apply the teachings. And this gets you more and more wisdom. As you do this more and more in the mind, gathers this wisdom. The wisdom is permeating in the mind where you've had multiple situations that are similar and you've handled them very well through applying the Buddhist teachings that it becomes first nature and you no longer have to do that thinking and pondering. That's when the mind starts getting into the first, second, third, and then ultimately fourth stage of enlightenment where the thinking and pondering is gone. It's only in the jhanas when you're first putting together the three universal truths, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the five precepts, meditation, and moving the mind into the jhanas, that in there, that's where you have to do a lot of thinking and pondering. And then as you kind of move beyond that, it starts to become first nature, where you can be in a conversation, you can be in certain situations, and it's just first nature for the mind to respond through these teachings rather than revert to anger or hostility or harsh language or something like that. The mind just has a propensity, a more natural flow to just practice the teachings and it becomes easier and easier. Sarah has a question. 
I also experienced what you just talked about, that I suffered from insomnia after establishing a routine of daily meditation. It disturbed me a lot since I lay awake for long, was very tired and didn't really manage to do my daily work, looking for my little child, etc. I stopped meditating then, which probably was not the best idea, but I was simply too tired. Do you have any advice how to deal with that? Does it make sense to meditate a little bit less when it is getting too bad instead of stopping meditation at all? To make this transition slower and maybe a bit easier? For now, I quit the evening session and only meditate in the morning, which already helps a bit. Yes, Sarah, that's a, a good point that, you know, like I talked about, this path to awakening, it isn't always rosy, right? There, there's periods of time where it gets very difficult and the mind might become uncomfortable with certain things that are happening, a sleep schedule or other things that are going on. And rather than give up, you can reduce and kind of slack down a little bit and then kind of work through a week or two or three, kind of getting whatever situation you're encountering resolved and then kind of move back into it more deeply when you're ready to do that. So you can kind of expand and contract your meditation practice as you need, but never, never, never give up. And be sure you're working with a teacher, Sarah. I'm not sure if you were doing that in the past, is you know coming to these classes, getting help, asking questions. You can even post in the Facebook group that we have, you can schedule a personal appointment where we meet in Zoom and I can help you privately too because it's not always necessarily a problem with meditation. It can be something else that's kind of stuck in the mind and just me understanding your mind a little bit, me understanding the situation that you're facing, I can help you kind of get over the hump so that you can get back to your meditation practice and really train. But that's wonderful that you haven't given up and yeah, if you need to kind of slack down a little bit and expand, that's fine. But just be sure you reach out to a teacher and get some help, particularly during the times that are difficult. But even when things are going well, it's kind of nice to have, you know, once a month, once every two weeks, kind of meeting with a teacher privately to ensure that things are headed in the right direction and you're continuing to progress. I have another question, Teacher David. Um, certain cultures, a uh, healthy progression in meditation is often referred to as achieving a sense of thoughtlessness, the word thoughtlessness. Um, I was wondering in your point of view, would you describe residing in the present moment uh, anything related to the word thoughtlessness? The only thing that I can see that someone might be describing thoughtlessness as is emptiness. That's the way I would describe the mind being in the present moment, not thoughtlessness, because there needs to be thought. There needs to be awareness of mind. And, and one of the benefits of doing all this work to eliminate the pollution of the mind and attain this awakened, enlightened mental state is the mind is performing so optimally with focus, concentration, clarity of thought and deep memory that the thoughts that come to the mind are pure thoughts and wholesome thoughts and because you know they're not tainted with craving anger and ignorance so to speak which includes the ego and the self these wholesome thoughts that come to the mind as you're moving closer and closer to enlightenment you can take action on them and you can improve your life through making a decision to pursue any particular type of thought that might come to mind 
But I wouldn't describe anything as thoughtlessness because to me that is like being devoid of thought, which is exactly the opposite of what Gautama Buddha taught us and what people experience in the enlightened mental state, which we need to have awareness of the mind or awareness of the thoughts so that we can purify the mind more and more and more. This emptiness that I talk about with the present moment and that Gautama Buddha talks about as well, this emptiness is a stilling of the mind where there's not this constant mental activity. Using an example that Holly gave, like watching a movie or if you've ever been sitting at a bus stop or you've just been sitting somewhere quietly and your mind was just chattering and chattering and chattering and chattering and chattering. This is what the unenlightened mind does, right? But when you move closer and closer to the enlightened mental state and you've trained the mind more and more and you've refined it, in those situations, the mind is just still. There's no constant chatter. The mind is just still in the present moment. And you might be taking in a certain landscape or a view or observing the buses go by or you might be waiting in line, but there's no chatter. The mind isn't full of thoughts. So maybe that's why people are calling it thoughtlessness, but I wouldn't describe it that way. I would describe it as emptiness where the mind is no longer burdened by this constant chatter, 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 but it is just stable, calm, steady, peaceful, and content in the present moment without all this chatter. Thank you. It doesn't appear that we have any more questions on Zoom, and I believe Basim is having some connectivity issues. I don't see any questions on Facebook either for the time being. Okay, so we can just end our class here then, and I'll just end by encouraging all of you to take what you're learning in these classes and apply it in your daily life, not just in meditation, but the things that we talk about for outside of meditation as well. What you should be doing is building up this meditation practice. If you're meditating once a day now for five or 10 minutes, work on expanding that to 15 or 20 minutes, and then work on expanding that to 30 minutes once a day. And then once you've got that consistently going each day, now work on doing that twice a day, right? And then try to increase that where you've got at least a morning and evening session that is about 30 minutes long. For householder practitioners, I think that is like ideal if everybody could get to that. But if you've got time, because some people, you know, they're working at home or they're retired or they're a stay at home parent or something, or maybe your workspace actually does allow for a midday meditation and you can get three times a meditation a day. Wow. Will you really see the benefit? Because this is what Gautama Buddha did is three times a day. If you meditate three times a day, you're going to see the benefits just multiply and multiply and multiply. Meditating once a day, you're going to see some benefits, but you're not going to get to enlightenment with just once a day. You're going to need more than that in order to get to enlightenment. So build up your practice to at least twice a day. And if you can occasionally or even consistently get that third time a day, then that's wonderful. And do breathing mindfulness meditation like we did today, where you just put the body in a particular position, either seated, lying, or standing, 
and you just focus on the breath. No music, no candles, no mala beads, no constant guidance of somebody talking to you. And if you've been doing those things in the past, you might need to kind of ease the mind off of those things where you do those once and you do this once and you do that once and you do this once. And then maybe you do that once and you do this two or three times and you do that once and you do this two or three times and then you do that once and four or five times this and you kind of ease the mind away from that stuff and you'll see that the meditation will get deeper and deeper and you'll get more and more benefit because the mind's no longer holding on to all of this external stuff that with the body, the mind and the breath, you can go inward and you can just focus on the breath and you can train the mind anywhere because you don't need anything. You've already got everything you need. You've got the body, you've got the mind and you've got the breath and you'll have those three things all the way until death. So by establishing and developing your meditation practice in this way, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you'll always be able to meditate. You'll always be able to meditate. I got into a motorbike accident almost two years ago and my wife called me at the hospital because she was with my son picking him up at the school. And my first inclination was, hey, go home, get me this, get me that, I need this, bring it to me. But then when I thought for a moment, I was like, you know what? I don't need anything. I've got a bed, I've got a hospital gown, I've got the body, the mind and the breath. I don't need anything. You guys can just go home. And that was one of the most liberating things to be able to tell her, I've got everything I need, right? And here I was plastered out on the street in a motorbike accident, scooped up in an ambulance and put into a hospital. I didn't need anything. You don't need to come see me. Just go home and have some food and enjoy. I'm completely fine. I'm banged up, but I'll be all right. So you can actually get to the point where the mind is liberated, where you don't need anything at all in your meditation practice, just the body, the mind, and the breath. So no matter where you are in the world, you can be meditating because you're going to need that. You're not going to be able to carry around all this extra stuff that is all impermanent. So keep focusing on your meditation. Keep building this practice up day by day. Next Wednesday, we're going to do meditation like this again. We're going to do a longer session each time. And then somewhere in March, having you guys done these meditations in class and outside of class, we're going to add in loving kindness meditation. And I'll explain to you what that meditation is for because it serves a completely different purpose than this meditation. But you're not going to get the real benefit out of loving kindness meditation if you haven't really developed this meditation first. So that's why we're taking our time and building this week by week by week. On Sunday, we're going to be discussing that last part of the Eightfold Path, which is the mental discipline, which relates to meditation, but there's other parts in there as well. Here, we're gonna discuss right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration, helping you to understand the mental discipline of the Eightfold Path so that you can learn and practice those parts of the Eightfold Path as well. And then next Wednesday, we'll do meditation, breathing mindfulness meditation again. So between now and then, have a really wonderful rest of your week, a wonderful rest of your day, 
and just continue to learn and practice these teachings to include meditation. So thank you so much for joining. I'll see you next time. Sawadikap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.